Travels with John Smith, Chapter 37, Year 5, 2016, Part 1, Perth, Melbourne, and Adelaide, Snakes and Sunburn. It is January 30th, and we landed a couple hours ago in Australia. My 60th birthday is tomorrow. We have rented a small apartment a little outside of Perth, almost on the beach. We had some dinner, and we are now walking close to the beach. We can't see it yet, as there's no light next to the shoreline, but we can hear the sound of waves crashing against the shore. We see a sign beside the path that goes down to the beach, and I stop to read it. As much as I want to walk down by the water, I decide I can wait until morning. The sign says, Warnings, large waves, strong currents, sandbars, and snakes. Since it is dark on the path and the beach, I doubt that it is a good idea to venture down without being able to see anything. It is the 31st, and John is insisting that since it is my birthday, we should go to Fremantle. As we heard, it is a very artsy, hippie, chic, cool place. I am on Facebook with my friend Steve, who used to live around there, so he gives some good suggestions, and we don't really know where we are, so we go out and get our bearings. We discover that without a car, it will be difficult to do the things he suggested, but we can get to Fremantle with a local bus and train. The sun is shining, so we are dressed in light summer clothing, and we head out, thinking it can't be far, and we can always come back if we need anything. Fremantle is a very cool place. We walk out of the train station, and the first thing we see is a music shop. So we go in. They have some traditional Aborigine instruments, including, of course, lots of gorgeous didgeridoos of different sizes, made from different woods, including eucalyptus and bamboo. One of the guys working in the shops is playing one of them and he explains that the traditional didgeridoos are made with trees that have been hollowed out by termites. He says the longer the instrument is, the deeper the sound. I have read that women are not allowed to play it, and he says this is not the case everywhere. However, some Aboriginal groups in the southeast of Australia consider it cultural theft for non-Aboriginal women to play it. I see a small wooden box the size of a cigar box with a hole on the side of it. I'm told it is a type of travel didgeridoo, so I wonder if I could learn to play the technique of circular breathing with this. There are also some traditional Aboriginal percussion sticks called clap sticks that look like they've been hand-carved are quite light with a high sound that are apparently used to keep rhythm in voice chants. I am thinking both these things would fit in my suitcase when I spot an eight-string ukulele. It's made in Hawaii, not Australia, but I've never seen one anyplace else. I pick it up and start playing it 
which is always dangerous, and start rationalizing why I need it. We will be here for a month, and I have nothing with me to play, etc. But the other side of this is that we've just begun the trip, and we have carry-on bags, so really no space in our luggage. We have booked lots of low-budget flights for our trips inside Australia, and I'm not sure they will allow me to carry this as well. We strike up a conversation with the guy working in the shop and mention that it is my birthday. He goes behind the counter and takes out a flute and plays happy birthday to me. I feel blessed like this is my birthday present. What a sweet thing to do. I decide that I don't need to carry these things with us on the rest of the trip. We are coming back through Perth on our way back to China at the end of this trip, so we could make the trip out here if I still want them then. I feel so sensible. We tell him we'll be back in a month, and if it's meant to be, these musical instruments will still be here. We walk down the streets, checking out the shops and a market. There is live music on the streets, and the performers are all pretty good. So I have filled up my camera with shots of buildings that look like they belong in New Orleans and musicians, and we have made mental notes of the things we will buy when we come back. It is now one o'clock, and the wind has picked up, the sun has gone under, and it is freezing. I found a second-hand store and bought a little sweater, but it's really not doing the trick. We are too far away from the apartment to go back and get a jacket, so we ditch the plans to go hear some live music outdoors and decide to go start the trip back. We have been waiting at the bus stop for the bus that will take us back for some time. It seems that the way back is not the same as the way here. We discover this when we get on the wrong bus and it goes the wrong way, for a long time without stopping. We have been trying to get back to going the right direction, but we are lost now. It is about two and a half hours later, and we are finally back in the apartment, so decide we will just stay in tonight. We buy some groceries and watch Australian TV. We watch a documentary about a guy called Molly, who was very famous in Australia as he was the presenter of a music program called Countdown. I heard of the show when I lived in the UK, but have no idea if it is world famous. The documentary is great, and we get some Aussie culture. We've been here for a couple of days, and our plan to be near a beach and get a tan isn't really working out, as it's been really chilly. The beaches are beautiful, though, with white sand and turquoise waters, so we take lots of walks. Every time we are anywhere near a beach, I nervously scan the ground for snakes, but luckily don't see any. I'm not sure I could outrun a snake. I've been reading Bill Bryson's Sunburnt Country, which is, is his account of the dangers and delights of Australia. And people are always talking about all the snakes in Australia that could kill you. So I am aware of the different snakes that can be found here. 
but the fact that it was written on a sign suggests the danger is here. Due to feeling a little overly frightened about the kinds of creatures we could find, I decided reading the Bill Bryson book might be better after we left Australia. It's now our last day here. The sun has come out and it is about 21 degrees centigrade. It is still chilly for Perth standards, as it's usually above 30 degrees centigrade. We don our swimsuits, and even though it's a little bit chilly sitting up, it's warm and very pleasant lying on the sand. I apply sunscreen on my face and chest, but it's not hot enough to burn, and I haven't burnt since I was a teenager, so I don't bother putting any on the rest of me. We've been in the sun for a couple of hours and decide we'll go for lunch. We go to an upmarket burger place, and as soon as we sit down, I notice I have a bit of a burn. It's painful, especially my feet, calves, and even my hands. We buy lots of creams and cover ourselves in them. I can't believe it. I have many hours of being in the sun in Italy, France, Asia, etc., and never got this badly burnt. We heard that Australia has a thin ozone layer, so maybe that's why it happens so easily. I feel stupid, and I'm kicking myself as I know I'll have to stay out of the sun for the next few days and maybe couple weeks. We have now arrived in Melbourne, and it's quite warm. I have become a little paranoid about the sun and spend a lot of my time in the shade. You know this is very unusual for me. Melbourne is very spread out, and the hotel we booked here is a little far away from the centre. It's very nice, kind of like an upmarket motel, with a swimming pool and lots of green and trees around it. But it's in a suburb, so when we want to go somewhere, it takes a while to get to the train station, etc. Despite this... We did do a couple more touristy things there, like going to Brighton Beach to see the brightly colored beach huts. It was actually close to the hotel, but we had to go towards Melbourne to get another train to take us back out, as we didn't want to get lost on the many trams there are here. We were also ill-prepared for hanging out on the beach, and there were no shops selling towels or sunscreen or places with beach chairs and umbrellas to rent there. I had my beach cover-up with me and a small amount of sunscreen, so sat in the shade of one of the small huts. The huts are similar to ones found in the UK, where you can own them or rent them for you, your friends or family. There is no plumbing or electricity, so it's not really a cabin, but more of a private change room that you could also use as shade or a place to prepare a picnic by the sea or ocean. It was a Sunday and was very busy, so taking pictures without a lot of people in it wasn't easy, but it was a relaxing afternoon while we were there. Today we are on a tour to see the Twelve Apostles, on the Great Ocean Road. The Great Ocean Road is the one that stretches between Melbourne and Adelaide, and Australians say it is some of the most stunning scenery that you will see in the whole country. 
Many people rent a car to drive this road. The ocean views are stunning, with crashing waves and clear blue skies meeting blue and turquoise water. The beaches are expansive with light-colored soft sand and in many cases are empty of people. The apostles are a group of rocks, or stacks, made of limestone, rising from the ocean beside the cliffs that are directly above the beaches. I had seen pictures of them before, but had never really known where they were in the world. When we were looking through things to see in or around Melbourne, I saw a picture and realized they were here, so couldn't believe our luck that we would get to see them. The apostles are the result of the ocean eroding the rock, so they became caves, then arches, and then the tops fell and the tall stacks, about 50 feet high, were left. They look odd and dramatic coming out of the water, so close together. There were never actually 12 of them, and there are now eight of them left. They will eventually erode away. The name was also invented for tourism purposes, even though there are no religious connotations at all. There are paths along the edge of the cliffs and areas that have been built so tourists can take pictures of this wondrous sight. We have already taken far too many pictures, as every time we stop, it looks beautiful. We end up taking more pictures in hope that this view will show the scope of it, but alas, it rarely does. Next to the Apostles, there is a gorge called Loch Ard, which has a beautiful hidden beach and a little, little cove in front of it that is fed by a, a narrow corridor of water coming in from the ocean. The place was named after a boat that sunk after crashing on the rocks in the violent waters just outside the cove. A 15-year-old boy was washed ashore, and he heard a young woman's cries for help, so went back into the dangerous water and saved her. They were the only survivors. They took refuge in the cove, but then were surrounded by 50-foot walls of rock. The boy somehow managed to scale the walls and went to get a rescue party. He was hailed as a hero and lived the rest of his life in Australia. The young woman, who had lost most of her family in the shipwreck, went back to England a couple of months later. It's very pretty and would be a good place to suntan if there weren't so many tourists walking around from various tours, every few minutes a fresh crop of them. We are now in Adelaide, staying in a lovely hotel that has a rooftop swimming pool, so we spend the day relaxing near the pool after having a bite and visiting the f fabulous Central Market and a very cool vintage store. I bought a new book. It's Molly, the famous presenter's life story. This story is about the dangers of rock and roll and what goes with it, so I can handle reading this one. It is rather big, though, so adds a few kilos to my small backpack. I still have to cover my shins and feet with high protection plus a towel or something, as they are still red and painful. 
while checking out what music venues and restaurants they have here, we find out we will miss the Adelaide Fringe by a day, which is too bad, as it looks like they will have some great plays. We do discover a Jamie Oliver restaurant near the hotel, and since I never got to try it in London, we go for it. We sit on a terrace in front of the restaurant, which is full and buzzing with activity, and have a wonderful meal of good steaks cooked just right. While we are thinking about what a lovely green and fairly hip city this is, two very aggressive wasps decide to join us. We try to get rid of them, but they like Jamie's food too, so we decide it's time to go for dessert somewhere else. There's a Korean-Chinese dessert place right outside the hotel, so we stop there to have our favorite Chinese dessert, mango ice. The ice isn't quite as snowy as the ones we get in China, so it's a little disappointing, but funny to think we have gone full circle. In China, they don't always get the Western food right, and here in Australia, or in the West, they don't always get the Asian Chinese food right either. Mm-hmm. 